memory of your life? Like that moment that you could go back to, that, that everything in the world seemed right? Like even in this moment, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was a place, it was a time, it was a moment maybe significant, like the birth of a child, a wedding day at the altar of a church, or maybe it was just as like mine, the most maybe normal day, but yet amazing day ever. Uh, being like 12 years old, are you kidding me? If we could go back to be 12 and riding our bikes at the beginning of summer after we just got a bag of candy from the, the grocery store, riding down with my buddy Eric and Justin and Jared and my brother Jeremy, cruising through the suburbs as we said, we own this place. We didn't own that place. But it felt like we did at 12. And the beautiful sun, as it's still high up in the sky, it's the beginning of summer, it just felt awesome. You got that memory fresh in your mind of like the way it used to be or the way it was in that very moment. Maybe you're that kind of person. You think about that often. It's like nostalgic, get goosebumps. You think about the days that had happened. Maybe you're the kind of person where it's the other end, where you cannot stop thinking about tomorrow. Like you dream of all that could be, that should be, that might be, whether it's tied to a relationship through, through marriage or, or someday a, a, a child or, or something like down the road or maybe it's something with your business or something with your, your craft or something that like you just dream, you think about this thing like the movie Up where he can't, he, like, he can't wait for the moment where he goes to Paradise Falls and he floats his whole house to this moment somewhere in the future and that's all he thinks about is the future. So I don't know if you're that kind of person or if you're that kind of person, but I think we all struggle with the middle, the today, this very second. It's really easy to go back and remember how great of a basketball player we were, which really we really never were, right? The glory days. And it's really easy to dream of, oh, I can't wait to the new year. January 1st, when I can start X, Y, or Z. Are you with me? You've already been planning it out. You're, sitting, you're smiling. You're shaking. You know that that's how it is. It's so easy to be here. It's so easy to be here. But in the, the realm of time, this is where it's hard to be. Present. Probably one of the most biggest challenges of our day, of your life, of my life is in this moment. And, and even from, from great angles and hor like horrible angles, like it's easy to be there or there. Like maybe for you, when I say the past or your past, like all of a sudden there's this pain that comes. There's this pain that resonates in your heart and you don't want to go back to your childhood. You don't want to go back to um, high school or when you were young. Or maybe in the future, there's this worry of what is to come. There's this worry of like old, the ultimate giant foot to drop on your life. And you're waiting for that. And there's this fear that resonates in both. I, I remember specifically, um, I was a youth pastor for about seven years, eight years. And a big thing was, um, bro broke my heart. 
um, especially in young girls, was, was cutting, was um, where they would take a razor blade and they would, they would cut um, their, their wrists or they'd cut the inside of their, their legs above their knees. Um, and, and I would be like, why? Why would you do this? And, and it was so prevalent. Um, and the, the answer in different ways I kept getting over and over was it, like, it made them feel in the moment. Like they felt pain, right? Even though it was pain. Like they, it, it brought them out of the numbness of what the past had brought them. And it brought them into the present. Like I can, I can control this pain. I can control this moment. You see, we're trapped in this thing called time. But it's a beautiful thing. Things age amazing. But we all know, too, that sometimes things rot with age. They break with age. They grow all kinds of strange things with age. And so where I want to go this morning is in the realm of time, from the past to the future, but not skipping over the present. This very second, this very moment, this very season of your life. So I'd like you to turn to um, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and just keep it up. We'll get you one. Vinny's in the back ready to, a couple people, if you could get them a Bible. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And also we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to be bouncing back and forth there. Um, I remember time as a child, like when you're a child, you're just enjoying the ride. You're just all in for whatever time is. Uh, you think recess is, at school is like five seconds, and you think math class or history class is like 23 days, and just everything seems so crammed and stretched. And, and I remember being a kid, uh, I lived in a, a really small home growing up, and um, my, my dad would work the typical you know, seven to three shifts, and so he'd be home at night, and, and my dad wasn't really a big tough guy, but there was something about at night when I went to bed where I felt safe because he was there. And I remember my brother and I in bunk beds in our small little two-bedroom house, and, and right outside our, our bedroom was this, this piano, and right above the piano was this old-school wooden, like, sun clock. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think everybody had one of these in, like, the 80s and 90s, and these clocks were, were so... Um, loud. I remember when I, when I equate time, I remember being a child, feeling that security, feeling that safety, but yet hearing the click. It was like this, this if you listen close, it was like this ting, 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 and every second it would go. And in that, like there was this thought, like you can't stop it. Like, like, you literally, I could get out of my room, climb up on the piano, and I could literally hold the hands. I think I did that at some point. But it didn't work. It, like, didn't stop the realm of time. And in that time, we're trapped in it. But today, I want you to see that in the present, in the past, and in the future, we serve a God who's not trapped in any realm of time. He is an eternal God that knows what he's doing. And in our pain, and in our glory, and in our dreams, and in, like, the good old days, he's using all of that for good, to his glory, our joy, and for the world's behalf. And this morning, I just want to take a moment 
to walk through how this is relevant to us and how it was relevant to the nation of Israel, how it's relevant in God's inspired and errant word, and even how it's been relevant this week, hopefully, as you've been going through the Advent Jesse tree. Um, I left my phone down there, but pretend I'm holding a phone. Um, have you guys downloaded the Conduit Ministries app yet? Um, you can go to the iTunes store and you can download that. And when you download that, there's several different things on there that will help you kind of understand uh, what's going on here. Like our sermons are on there, um, our blog's on there, our Facebook uh, link and website and signing up for open house and stuff is on there. Giving is on there. But, but most importantly, what I'm bringing up again is that the blog is on there. And on the blog, we've taken this book that we're going through through the month of December called the Advent Jesse Tree. And the Advent means the coming of Jesus coming of our rescue. And in this, as we celebrate 25 days of his coming, we also reflect on where we've been. Like literally all the way back to the beginning of creation through Adam and Eve and Abraham, through all the people, Isaac, the sacrifice that came and Jacob, which brings us ultimately last week, we, we studied the ladder. And, we, and then from there, we've, we've, we're building in this week uh, on Monday, you are at Joseph, Jacob's son. And this whole idea that, that Jacob gave his son, he had many sons, but he gave one of his sons a colorful coat. And so that's the symbol for day seven. Why did he give him the colorful coat? There's a, there's a significance and importance to it. And I know that's not super acceptable now because my kids ask me all the time who, which one is their favorite. And um, I get like... The mo like, I, like uh, I can't really tell you who my favorite is. <laughs> and every parent here is like, no, you're not supposed to say that. Um, I really don't have a favorite. I like them all. But for, for Jacob, it's not that he had a favorite. It's that he wanted to honor and he wanted to set an importance on God's ultimate plan and leading on his son, Joseph. And so he gave him the coat of many colors. Now, his brothers were not okay with this. And so one day in the field... As he went out there, his brothers conspired against him. And it wasn't just the coat. It was this whole dream that God had given Joseph that one day his brothers would be bowing down to him. And in a humble way, sharing that. In an authentic way, sharing that. But yet, he got burned with it because his brothers grabbed him, tied him up, and sold him into slavery. In about 1850 B.C., sold him into slavery, and all of a sudden slavery for this guy named Joseph changed not just the course of his life and the course of the nation of Israel, but it changed the course of our lives. I mean, even B.C., in the realm of time, 1850 B.C. and 1850 A.D., 160-some years ago, where were we as a nation? No, let me get this straight. We're not Israel. But where were we as a nation? Where slavery was like a defining moment. Not always in positive ways, but the big picture. Something was happening in our country for us to realize. Again, ultimately pointing to the creator God and how he created all men. And even for Joseph, in that moment of 1850 B.C. being sold into slavery for not a few days. He lived a lifetime of faithfulness, trusting the ultimate big picture. He's telling us, and this is why this is a symbol for today, and this is why this is a pathway that leads to the coming of Jesus, is because sometimes God uses 
horrible circumstances to bring glory to himself, to advance the kingdom. Because in his glory and in the advancement of the kingdom will give you the only joy that we could ever actually be fulfilled with. So in some long stretch of time, as you begin to to back up and back out and see your life, and you see, and even Joseph, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the slavery, in the midst of all that was happening, he had to trust that ultimately something new was happening in his life. And so he did. And ultimately, the next day, you studied, hopefully you've been walking through this every day, on day eight, was Moses. God had sent Israel into um, captivity, and he raised up a leader named Moses to bring them out. And then through that, like, this amazing story of Exodus, God used his life, he used the leaders that God sent with him to save these people, to free them. And in that, they begin to live their life. They wanted to honor God, but they weren't sure, like, what's allowed, what's not allowed. So God gave them a gift, the Ten Commandments. Now, I think that sometimes we don't, like, equate the Ten Commandments as a gift. Like, oh, thanks, God, for the rules. I appreciate that. Like, have you ever thought about it from that perspective? But when you read the Old Testament, the the Ten Commandments was a, a gift. Like, it was referred to, David says that it was like honey on his lips. This was a gift because it was to show the nation of Israel, God's people, how to live. It was to show them that they ultimately fell short. That they are to have no other gods before the God. That they are to, to not murder. That they are not to steal. That they are to honor their father and their mother. That they are to, to remember the Sabbath day. To put back in one day all the pieces that the world has broken apart in the other six. They are challenged to not covet because if they keep all the Ten Commandments, if they attempt to try to keep all the Ten Commandments, then the, the tenth one's actually kind of a reward. Thou shalt not covet. You don't want anything else if you're trying to honor God and you're trying to seek His face and know His law and meditate on that, then He's revealing to us that this is a gift. And it's this beautiful reminder to us, and it was to them, that it's actually, at the end of the day, let's face it, it's impossible keep the Ten Commandments. It's impossible. It's impossible to keep the law. It's impossible for us to meet the standard. And so God gave us this as a gift, as a reminder, as a measuring stick, so that we would look to it and say, you know what? I'm not measuring up. But it's not meant to leave us hopeless. It's not meant for us to walk away like, I don't measure up, I quit. Why even bother trying to honor God through his law? No, 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 no. The point of it, of God giving this to Moses and in this symbol was that I'm giving you this now so that you know that I'm holy and you know that there needs to be something that bridges the gap so that you understand that, that, that the law, that the Ten Commandments was literally just like a tunnel that leads to the light. That it was the tunnel that leads to the light. Man, you could park on each one of these for 25 minutes, but let's move to the next, the cluster of grapes. This was where the moment where God had promised the land for Israel, the promised land, as they sent 12 spies in to check this place out. They, had to, they sent 12 people to say, okay, what kind of uh, agriculture is there? What kind of, uh, like, survey the land, get an idea of what it would be like. And in that, 10 of those spies came back, and essentially, I don't know if you remember the song, but like 10 of them were bad and two were good from when you were a kid, but the two that were good were, were Joshua and Caleb. 
And, and not that they were bad or they were good. The whole point was that they went. And Joshua and Caleb, they saw the obstacles. They saw the difficulties. But what they saw was clusters of grape that took two men to carry. Can you imagine, like, these grapes that, like, just, like, explodes in your face? It's just this amazing idea of the, all that God has promised us there is lush. It's ready. It's promised. They were the only two that came back and gave a good report. The other ten, they saw the same thing. They saw the same land, the same circumstance, but yet their report was fear. Their report was worry. Or what if? What if we can't do it? What if we can't beat them? What if we can't take the land? What if we can't do this or this or this? And Joshua and Caleb's message report was about faith and about trust and about claiming the promise that God had. They, they all twelve saw the same thing. But they had a completely different reaction to it. Next day was Ruth. Ruth was a beautiful woman that it had little to do. Again, the Old Testament doesn't have pictures. But you can guess that she is a beautiful woman because of the way she acted and the way she lived her life. Her husband had died, and she had this tremendous love for her mother-in-law, which communicates to me that she's already got a, a tremendous amount of grace, right? Thank you, Bryce. I think you're the only one in the room that got that. Uh, hello, just think on. Holidays are around the corner. And she had this love for her mother-in-law, so much so that she stayed with her mother-in-law to take care of the farm, to take care of the responsibilities. And one day, as she was out in the wheat field, Boaz was brought into her life. Now, now Ruth was not, she, Ruth was a Moabite woman. Do you know what that means? Yeah, neither do I. But that, what Moabite woman means that is that she's not an Israelite, okay? That's the importance here. And I love how God, even in not, like she's not even in the, the, the nation of Israel, she's not even in that lineage, but yet God still rescued her. To, to give you a picture to you and I, that we are not Jewish, but yet God had sent a way for us to be saved through Jesus, which was for everybody. And the representation of Jesus was Boaz. Because he was a Jew. And he came and he married her, Ruth. And there's so much more significance that we could say about this. But I love the picture that Ruth is. And that this marriage is, as we are the church, as we are the bride of Christ, undeserving of our faithful groom, Jesus. But in his faithfulness, he's welcomed us. He's married us. He's, for eternity, had a covenant with us that cannot be broken. It's this beautiful picture of the gospel. And the next symbol is a sling. And in this sling, um, somebody thought this was a hat with strings. Um, but it's a beautiful picture of a sling with a stone in it. Who do you think this is? David, right? And this is where, like, this is where, like, the Bible, as, like, as a kid, like, gets fun. Like, oh, okay, Abraham, he had some kids, and, like, oh, Noah, he built a boat, and there's animals and stuff. But David, dude, he, like, he, he slung a giant in the head with a rock and killed him. And then, like, I don't know if you know the rest of the story, but, like, the best part about David and Goliath is he, when he killed Goliath, no, he didn't just kill Goliath. Like, maybe even on act, like, none of that. He taunted Goliath, this boy who was a shepherd boy who was tending the sheep in the field. He was flipping burgers, so to speak. 
And his brothers, they were fighting the war. And he went to bring them cheese and lunch. And in that journey, he overheard and he could tell that in the moment, in the presence, that the whole Israelite army was scared of the opposite army, which was the Philistines. And the Philistines had a champion. They had a, a like, giant named Goliath. And Goliath had stepped forth and he had said, All right, Israelites, nation of the one true God, send me one man who will fight me. And if you guys win, then we'll be your slaves. But if I win, you guys will be our slaves. Which this is extremely significant. Because for David, when he hears this, and he sees like every grown strong man with muscles like shaking in their sandals, and here's this punk little kid bringing lunch to his brothers, and he hears this, he's like, uh-uh. And like in a moment of like heroism, he taunts Goliath back. And he says, I'm going to feed you, Goliath, to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then it rises up, this, this like transitional moment in the entire scriptures, and this entire moment hinges on the heart of David. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Don't let his heart be trapped in the muscles he has or the things he has, even to the point where Saul, who was king at that moment, had tried to put uh, the armor on David. He's like, I don't need that. I don't need that. This is all I need is my sling. Because you know what? I've used that before. And I've killed the lion and I've killed the bear. I even rescued one of my sheep out of the mouth of a lion with that. So he grabs his sling and he taunts Goliath back but he doesn't do it for his own glory to say, look how strong I am. He says, I'm doing this in this very moment that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Ah, isn't that awesome? I love the bravery. I love the story, but God used that. And I love how he kills Goliath. And I love how when we tell our kids a story, we stop there. But like he literally, he grabs the sword of, out of Goliath's sheath, and he, he literally chops his head off, holds this giant head up to the Israelite army, like his people, and is like, Aah! like I like how we give that kid that story to our kids, and then we're like, night night, love you, sleep tight. Like I, we always leave out that part, but it, it, and then after that, like the entire army, Aah! like they rush down the hill and up the valley and they chase after and they conquer the Philistines because of this boy. Because God inside of this boy giving him the courage and anointing him to change the world, to change your life and mine because of a sling. And this is the symbol for the day because it's not just showing to us that let's be brave and let's face our Goliaths. It's ultimately showing us the symbol for this day and the symbol for this moment was that Jesus was David. We're not David. We're the Israelites. We're shaking in our sandals, scared of nothing to offer the one that's taunting us, the enemy. But yet Jesus steps in and he conquers sin and he conquers death because that's the ultimate enemy. And he wins. And we have victory because of this. These are pictures of the coming king. I want to take a couple steps further before I go back to David. King Josiah, after all this had kind of happened and David became king and, and, and time had passed and, and, and Josiah is eight years old and he's king. 
You guys know any eight-year-olds? Can you imagine them being like the king? But I love how God uses Josiah's life and in this moment to remind his people of the reformation of what God has brought them all through. Because they were, they were headed for destruction. They were headed for captivity once again. But he reminds them, because finding the law, and in finding the law, it's revealed that the gospel, that the rescue is coming. And an eight-year-old boy changes a nation because of his faith in restoring the past. See, there's significance in the past. There's significance in the moment of what God has done or what we've been through. And you would all agree, even in this moment, that the pain that you've been through, the struggles that you've had, have played a a vital role. Maybe not a pleasurable role, but a vital role to who you are. Which brings us to the symbol of today. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Are you there? The Lord said to Samuel... Verse 1, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from, the, from being king over Israel, fill your horn, Samuel. Samuel was the prophet. Samuel was sent to anoint with oil, which was a significant ceremonial um, event that said that this person is anointed. This person is the next king. This person, God has their hand on. Fill your horn with oil, Samuel, and go. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Jesse the Bethlehemite. Like, I know it's easy to, like, run right through this, but there's an amazing, like, this, this hinges the story. Jesse's not the hero, but yet Jesse is the conduit for everything to change. I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, and I'll come back to that. For I have provided for myself a king among sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me, because Saul was still the king. Then the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord had commanded. And he came to Bethlehem. Sound familiar? I want you to see how these are all tied together. And the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, saying, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Conse- Sorry. Consecrate yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked. We're at verse 6. And when they came, he looked on Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Like this is the kid that, that he's like, he's conquered things. He's shown himself responsible. He's shown himself a leader. Surely it's Eliab. One of Jesse's sons. And what the Lord says here is the point of this entire day, of your entire life. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. 
For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Would you just pause right there for a second? Would you go over to Isaiah chapter 11? Still keep your thumb there. We'll come back. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. You know, Jesse in his life may not have done a lot of significant things, um, at least that are recorded. He's not the central main character. He's not the hero of the story. He's barely mentioned. And, and it kind of moves past and through him almost like a stump that it says. A stump. Like this used to be in this moment, like, uh, or in past moments, this tree that was alive and big and had many sons and made significant life-changing things, had conquered many things, had accomplished many things through his sons. Like, he didn't, I don't want you to miss this, he didn't get credit for what he did except for who he raised. And, and I, th I think, like, we're looking for the David and Goliath story. You're looking for the David and Goliath story. Young people, you're, you're pondering in your head, how can I be original to the point of, like, changing this world? I mean, maybe not be the next Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. But you're looking for something to be known for. Older, wiser, mature people. You're looking back at your life and what you've done, what you've gave your life for, and you're wondering, does anybody even notice who I served, who I fed, what I did at my job. Can I just, like, encourage you for a moment? Um, Andy Stanley says this quote that I love. And he says, um, he says, parents, he says, your greatest accomplishment may not be what you do, it's who you raise. Maybe your greatest accomplishment in life is not, has like nothing to do with what you've done or what you could tag your name to and what it's all named or the legacy of what you've done at your job or what you've done in your ministry or what you've done as a, as a hardworking man or woman. Maybe the greatest accomplishment has something to do with these kids that you get up and you get dressed and you make sure that they're fed and you make sure that they're educated and you make sure that they're protected and you make sure that they're safe and you make sure that they know that how much God loves them. 
And you make sure that they are set free and they can fly and they can flourish in the love of the Father God. That is your legacy. But, this has all of a sudden little to do with it being your kin. Like, like this whole thing is not, like yes, it's about how, how literally, okay, so Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a son named Judah, and Judah had a son named Perez, and Perez had a son named Hezron, and Hezron had a son named Ram, and Ram had a son named Abinadab, and Abinadab had a son named Nashon, and Nashon had a son named Salmon, and Salmon had a son named Boaz, and Boaz had a son named Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. And David had a son named Solomon. And Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam had a son named Abijah. And Abijah had a son named Asaph. And Asaph had a son named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat had a son named Joram. And Joram had a son named Uzziah. And Uzziah had a son named Joham. And Joham had a son named Ahaz. And Ahaz had a son named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh. And Manasseh had a son named Amos. And Amos had a son named Josiah. And Josiah had a son named son named Jeconiah. I'm not making this up, I promise. Okay? It's in the beginning of Matthew. And Jeconiah had a son named Shealtiel. And Shealtiel had a son named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel had, a, say that ten times fast, had a son named Abiad. And Abiad had a son named Eliakim. And Eliakim had a son named Azor. And Azor had a son named Zadok. And Zadok had a son named Achim. And Achim had a son named Eliad. And Iliad had a son named Eleazar. And Eleazar had a son named Mathan. And Mathan had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had a son named Joseph. And Joseph married a woman named Mary. They were all related. And in that bloodline from Abraham, God had kept his promise. From there to there, to there, to there, to there. And we're not done. We got like lots more ornaments to go. There's more room to be made. Come next week, you'll see like, we'll fit them somewhere. Like there's more to be said. There's more sons to be had. And all those names we lacked, like Jeconiah, seriously? But Jeconiah was a part of the puzzle of what God was doing in the greater scheme. And it wasn't about Jeconiah. Jeconiah got to be in the blood. And I'm sure we'll hear for eternity eternity what Jeconiah did. But if Jeconiah did nothing else but had Shealtiel, I think that's right. Yeah. Then he's won. Um, this is not about your kids although parents it's about your kids if you're, if you're 12 if you're 70 this isn't about I'm not talking about parenting in this moment you, you have these people that you are to bring hope to now 
not yesterday, like the kids that you had or now grown or whatever, or not the future of like, man, we're trying to have kids and it's just not working. Or man, someday hopefully I can find that person and we can have a, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the relationships you have, the people that are around you, the people in the pew next to you, the person that's next to you in the cubicle, the one that's, that's going to be at the Christmas party that's always, always says the awkward and brash things at the Christmas family gathering, that person, they need hope. They need to know that there's a greater picture. They need to know that, that like, their significance isn't what they do. It's who they pour into. It's who they give hope. Teachers, you're in a class full of kids. Their lives will be changed. And it's not about them, them being the next president. It's about them feeling love that has passed from God through you to them. Whether you sell cars or whether you cook meals, whether you run a restaurant, or whether you're in college or whether you're a stay-at-home mom. Man, are you kidding me? You get to look, you to grab somebody by their cheeks and you get to kiss them on the cheek. And you say, there is hope. And God is doing something new. And it's not about you because your life will come and go. The tree will grow and it will flourish. That we are like the grass that withers and dies and will be blown away. Everything will burn up. Everything will eventually rot. But what comes out of us is hope. What comes out of us is an opportunity for you to change the world through what you say what hope is. See, hope was. Hope is to come. But hope is now. Hope is a person. That person is Jesus. He is here for you. He is here on this earth. He came, he lived 33 years, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, then he sent the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper. And he says, it's better that I send him. He's here. He is here. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, now. The stump represents Jesse. The stump represents our lives that have been Cut off. Hopes, dreams, things that we wanted that did not work out. Our lives eventually dying. Our bodies eventually dying. But what, what we grow out of our lives, what we give to the world, hope, which is Jesus, is what matters. So you're here today, and you're, <laughs> man, you were like all about, like, okay, it's the, what is today, the, the, Help me out. What is today's date? The 13th? Yeah. Today's the 13th. You're like, okay, sweet. How many days till Christmas? Uh, yeah, okay. How many days till the 26th? Yes, okay. Like, you're, you're excited to get past this point. Because maybe for you, and I feel like I've had several of these conversations this week, like, Christmas is hard for you. This time reminds you of something in the past or reminds you of something that is the doom and gloom of the future, and it's difficult. 
You have hope now, today, on the 25th of December, just like everyone that has like what you would perceive as you look in the window of like the home alone moment where every, all the family's there and everybody's crying and hugging and everybody's and you're like, no, I don't have that. And even them, whether it's them or you or anybody that, like we were reminded last week through all these people that we are not alone. And this week we're reminded that hope is, is and the hope is to come, but hope is now and the hope is Jesus. Now, and I'm not one of those people that's like, well, you don't need anything but Jesus. No, I mean, like, it's all you need for eternity. It's all you need, really. But, like, I understand that you have lives, and you have things, significant needs, and you have, like, provision things. You have, you have, like, felt needs and relationships, and you have conflict, and all these things that play into your life. I understand that, that like, you need more than just the spiritual Jesus. Pat on the back. You got Jesus, man. You're good to go. I understand there's some depth of past and depth of future that's difficult, that's hurting. But understand that Jesus is all you need because he's making all things new. He's giving you perspective of the past. He's giving you perspective of your future, of what's to come. Because, because he is a God of now. He is the hope of now. This is why church is important. This is why church is significant, even playing into the idea of the nation of Israel and how we, the church, are a picture of that. How we, the church, have been preserved, protected, grown. God works through his Holy Spirit in the church. This is why church is so significant is because it's not about the kids you have or the, the, the kids that you don't have. It's about the person next to you. That you believe in the mission of Christ through them. Like a church is a place where, where we believe in, um, we celebrate each other's success. Your success is our success. I had lunch with someone this week from Conduit. And they were just talking, they were given kind of like these, these like reasons why they, they, they want to do more, but they, they like, they're just so busy and, and like they have a lot in their family and, and, and it's all like amazing things. And I was like, whoa, 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 okay, time out. You're winning at home? That's a success for us. You're loving your kids and you're loving your, your wife and it's pouring into the kids. Like, like you're, you're, you're helping them fly and flourish. Like that is the greatest program of Conduit. Get home. Love your family. Be there for your family. Build into the relationships of your life. So like your success is our success. And all of a sudden, like all the like expectations of what church should be and could be is built on the mission that we're set on and not through some program or some numbers game or statistic or um, an offering number being posted on the wall. Church is the body of believers that are living and breathing hands and feet and heart of Jesus. Church is not the destination. It's the launching point. Think about this. I think in our culture, like, church has been, like, that's, and I know, like, next week, it is the destination. You want to get all your people here. But outside of that, like, the whole point is for us to launch out and into this city and into your lives and your workplace, that, that this is the launching point for them to know the love of Jesus through the gospel of your life. 
That's the point. This is a launching point, not, well, the whole issue, the whole thing is to just get them here. And, like, if they get them here, then we got to keep them here with the programs and all these, all these millions of different things that we want to just offer them and, like, and cater to that. Like, that's not the point. Church is not the destination. Jesus is the, de- is the destination. And church gets to be a conduit to be able to make that happen. I mean, even like when it talks about, I'll just say real quick, you know the gifts that it talks about in the New Testament? That God has given the church the gifts. Um, and each person has these gifts, right? Like specific gifts or unique gifts or some gifts or a lot of gifts or whatever, God's given these gifts. And even sometimes like the modern day church, the, when we talk about the gifts, it seems like we skip over it or like we miss that part because we're like, it feels like a, 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 a square peg in a round hole. Like it doesn't make any sense because this is why because church is not the ultimate destination jesus is the gospel is and as we begin to live that out it makes a lot more sense and those gifts be able are able to be used in the world in the city in our lives not in a building and i don't need to like say this over and over because you guys know this and i know you believe this and i know you are living this we need to be committed to one another's success We need to be committed to one another's joy. This is the picture of Christ. This is the picture right of Christ in the church. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, Quickly, as we close, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 8. It says, Then Jesse called... So this is, we're going, we're bouncing back into that. And it says, do not look on the appearance of his height or of his stature. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called the Benadab, and he made him pass, walk, right before Samuel. And he says, nope, neither has the Lord chosen this one? And then he says, Jesse, bring Shema, one of his other sons, and pass him by. And he said, nope, neither has the Lord chosen this son. Verse 10. And Jesse said to his, said, excuse me, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen. This is a bold move. The Lord has not chosen any of these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he said, there remains the youngest. But, I mean, seriously, behold, he, he's keeping the sheep. He's busy. He's flipping burgers. He's doing his thing. He's doing what I asked him to do. He's working hard. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. For we will not sit down until he comes back. Like, go get him now. Like, I'll wait. Horns in hand, oil's ready. It's not these seven guys. You got one left? Okay, bring him. Like, run. And he sent and he brought him. He says that now he was, he was ready and he had beautiful eyes. So I love how he addresses that it doesn't matter the outward appearance, but yet it addresses his outward appearance. 
beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint this one, for this is he, David. Then Samuel took the horn and the oil and anointed him in the midst of all of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed in upon David from that day forward. Notice how we started with the story about how all of a sudden one brother... One of the brothers named Joseph was elevated and was honored. And all the brothers reacted by tying him up and, and giving him, selling him into slavery. And we end with the story of David. Of how he was anointed and how he was lifted up. How he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. And how all the brothers support that. And how the brothers didn't tie him up. And how Jesse forgot to even bring his son to the party, to be anointed. He thought, oh yeah, we, I got to bring all my sons. Like, this was not like some nonchalant, like, hello, we're here to talk to you about the Lord today. Can we come in? It's not one of those moments. This is the prophet Samuel who came. Like, he, like, this was a big deal. And Jesse brought out all his sons, but he didn't bring out David. But when David was brought out, God didn't look on his outward appearance, but he looked on his heart. And in his heart, he knew that, like, it wasn't that he had all his stuff together. And even when I mentioned David, which we only give him an end to today. But all that he did in his life, he did some amazing things, but he did some horrible things. Murder and adultery. The king, like, like all these, these polar opposite things that we look at somebody, like, this is a, like, crazy but God looked on his heart. Now, what was in his heart? Why is he called a man after God's own heart? This is why he's called a man after God's own heart, is because he had a repentant heart when he did mess up. His heart was broken when he sinned. I mean, even to the point when he committed adultery, and, and, and he, 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 then he ended up murdering the husband. And, and in this moment, like knowing how wrong he was, he said to God, he says, restore unto me, in the book of Psalms, like restore unto me the joy of my salvation. My, my bones, they waxed old when I was running from you. Like he knew that in that, like no matter what he had done, that his hope, his best chance was to run to the heart of God and that that was his legacy. That that was the thing that was left. So I don't know what Jesse did, to, to make David's heart that way, like, he obviously was a stellar shepherd boy. He obviously was a stellar king. He obviously was a stellar friend to Jonathan. But the thing he was really known for was something that no one ever actually saw, his heart. His greatest hope, his greatest feat, his greatest accomplishment was his repentant heart to God. As Jesse looks at his life, all seems lost. All seems rotten. All seems cut off. But God is doing a new thing. And you're here today, as you look at the realm of time, you look at your past, you look at your future, and you try so hard to be in the present. And as you look, you see, let's be honest, you feel as though everything is cut off. Everything is dead. Everything has rotted. 
Everything is growing, all this stuff around it because there's no hope. There's nothing that you have to offer. There's nothing you have to look back on, whether you're 12 or whether you're 70. You could be in this room and you feel like all is lost. Can I just encourage you? All is not lost. The shoe is not going to drop. Our hope is Jesus, and he has come. And out of our lives, Jesus is that shoot. He is the one that comes out of a dead place, and he rises to new life. And he doesn't just rise to new life, but he sprouts new things from him, and there's fruit that comes from our life. Not because of how great we were, or how great of a, a, a warrior we were, or how great of a, even how great of a father we were, but the heart that Jesse planted inside of his son said that Jesus is the way. Repentance to a holy God is the only hope that we have. Throw all your chips in the bag. Even though we can't make it through favor or the law or prosperity or even our own faithfulness, that we can't get it through fighting or trying to conquer or trying to be tough. But the ultimately, that through the law, it shows us that the hope is Jesus. Even the Ten Commandments showing you and I that feeling of like, dude, if I walk into church, the, the, like the place will catch on fire because like it's that bad. You don't know what I've done. But no, I, I do know what you've done because I've done it too. And I walk into this, this place called the presence of God, and it's consuming. And why is it consuming? I feel guilty. Yeah, I feel I feel convicted. I like I'm in awe of a holy God. I'm in awe of this God that I can, there's no way I can make it. There's no way I can be good enough to make it. Then I'm broken when I understand and as I repent in my heart of what I've done in my life. Man, it's almost like God just like stops me mid-sentence. He's like, I've made a way. You don't need to die. I sent my son to die. And he died. And he rose again to live and to give you life. So the areas of our heart, the days of old that feel dead, that feel cut off, that feel that you have nothing to offer, or even if you're that kind of person where it's the future. Man, I got nothing ahead of me. I got no retirement. I got no hope. I got nothing. May you just stop for a moment in this realm of time. Would you be present in this moment and be reminded that hope is here. He is here. He is your hope. He will forgive. church into the presence of God through a daily radical gospel living. And that he is here not just for the world, but he's here for you today, right now. You know, as cheesy as it is, we have these presents, presents that we wrap a horrible rapper in more ways than one um, and I put it under the tree 
and like as parents, like or or as friends of people that we buy gifts for, like there's this moment where you give a gift, like open it. Yes, here we go. Because there's something, and this is, and I don't know English. English teachers can, but like I often, I was thinking about this, like like maybe it's called present, a present, because for that moment, for that like sliver of time, when I give you this gift, we're present. We're here. We're now. Like we're connected. And, and I just want to encourage you that the ultimate present was Jesus. The ultimate like moment was not for, okay, you just pray a prayer and then someday, like man, I hope when you die, you're going to walk through the pearly gates and live forever in heaven. That's amazing. Guys, that's not present. That's not a present. And we can't like look at the word of God and look at all that God had done. Every moment of history and every moment of your history and every moment of your life you can't look at it oh god thank you for all that you've done may you rise in this moment and and let you get down and you rip open that present and be present with the one who gave us life with the one who gave us hope because he is present he is not the god of yesterday he is the god of now So I just want to take this last minute, actually, and I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head. Before we sing this last song, before we stand, I want you to just, I want you to think about the past. And I want you to think about the future. And I want you in this very moment to ask God to be right here, right now, present with you. What is he speaking to you about? You just need to rip open that present and receive the ultimate present, the presence of God on this earth, Jesus. And they fill you with the Holy Spirit and empower you. Would you stand? And Jesus, as we come to this moment of prayer, I just encourage these people, if they need prayer, to come forward. If they need to, 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 to make a phone call, that they'd make that phone call and they'd, they'd They'd, they'd restore that thing in their life that, that they can speak restoration to or hope into. God, but may it start first in their heart because that's where you started with David. You didn't go after his outward appearance or how tall or how strong he was. You went after his heart. It was a heart for you. So God, I ask that right now, regardless of what's happened in the past, what's happening in the future, may we stop in this moment and see your presence today is you. You are the shoot that's coming out of our life. The dead parts, the cut off parts, everything it just feels that all is lost, but all is not lost. Jesus, thank you. Praise you for that.